0: When it comes to the atonement, you basically only have two options. That's either Christ died for some, or Christ died for absolutely everyone. There is no in-between. Tonight on Sinners and Saints, we're going to examine the biblical doctrine of limited atonement and show you from Scripture that Christ died for a definite, limited, particular group of people. So stay tuned for tonight's discussion on Sinners and Saints.
1: In an age of moral bankruptcy, political sleaze, theological confusion, and aimless religion in a mindless church, we're addressing the need for a Bible-based, intellectually rigorous 21st century Christian faith. This is Sinners and Saints, Theology with an Edge. Mm
0: All right, I want to thank you again for joining us tonight on Sinners and Saints. Uh, Joining us for our discussion, as usual, is Reverend Adam Kalushin from Ontario United Reformed Church, and Reverend Moses Jambazian from Pasadena United Reformed Church, and I'm John Sattel from First United Reformed Church of Chino. We're going to continue in our series on TULIP, and tonight we take on the issue of limited atonement. And one thing that I want to stress and make very clear as we start our discussion tonight is that... The Bible only gives us two categories, two options, really, for understanding the extent of the atonement. It's not three, and I know some of you think that it's three. Some of you have been told that Christ died to make it possible for people to be saved. And so you think that when you look at the options for the atonement, you could either go with Christ died for everybody... Or Christ died for only a limited amount, or that Christ just died, and so all kinds of people uh, could be saved. But that's yeah, was, not the.
1: I was driving around the other day, John. I saw a bumper sticker said, "Jesus, He died for the opportunity." Right. As if the death of Christ didn't really accomplish anything, it just kind of made something else possible.
0: That's it. it, it when Christ went to the cross, He died for a nameless, faceless rabble of people, whoever potentially would would believe. Now you've been told that that's an option. But what we're going to try to show you tonight from scripture is that there is no single text of scripture that you could use to support that idea scripture only speaks in this way christ died for somebody now that somebody could be absolutely every person who ever lives or that somebody could be the definite amount of people the father had given him but we're going to go to the scriptures and show you tonight that has to be one of those two options and so uh, as we turn to the scriptures to, to ground this particular doctrine where would we go to establish that christ died for somebody
2: Well, one of the places we can go to is Ephesians 5, and there it says that husbands ought to love their wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word. What you have there is Paul is making an assumption in regards to how husbands are to behave, and he says it ought to be comparable to how Christ behaved for his church, the work of Christ for the redeemed. One of the things that's important to see here is that Paul is telling husbands they have to particularly love the one wife that they have and that they are not to indiscriminately love all women the same. And he says, here's your example. Christ only loved his church and gave himself up for her alone.
1: Yeah, there's all kinds of passages all over the scripture that teach that Jesus actually died for somebody. When he was born into the world, the angel of the Lord says to Joseph, Mary will bring forth a son And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. It doesn't say he is going to maybe potentially do something that might result in the salvation of some people. He will save his people from their sins. John 15, verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. Jesus laid down his life for his friends, for somebody.
0: He, yeah, he died for some, not 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 nobody. That's the key thing. And uh, John's gospel is actually very rich in this teaching on definite atonement. Another passage which uh, you have to go through, you absolutely have to to grapple with when you start uh, wrestling with the extent of the atonement is John John ten, because he says in John ten verse eleven, Jesus says, "I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep." Now Christ is making it very clear that his intention is to go to the cross and be a substitute for somebody. And that's the sheep. And this passage is very clear as it goes on to talk about who are the sheep. Uh, In verse 26, he says to the Pharisees, but you don't believe me because you're not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice and I know them they follow me.
1: Now, I want you to notice something. Some people say, well, yeah, you know, they're not his sheep because they don't believe him. But that's not what Jesus says. Jesus says... You don't believe me because you are not my sheep. You understand? The reason why people reject Jesus Christ is because they're not his sheep. They're not the ones for whom Christ died.
0: Sheep believe. another That's Jesus' point. The sheep are the ones who, are, who believe. And Jesus is saying there's only two categories of people out there. There's sheep and there's not sheep. And guess what Jesus says? I didn't lay down my life for not sheep. I laid down my life for sheep, for particular people
2: in the book of Acts where Paul is talking to the elders at Ephesus he tells them very specifically that they are to take heed for themselves and for all the flock the flock which Christ purchased the Lord obtained for himself with his own blood so again it's part of the motive for why the elders are to do their jobs well it is because God has purchased them with his own blood and therefore they cannot be taken lightly and they cannot be mistreated
0: we look at a handful of scripture references here which seem to me too obvious to miss so i'm going to ask a a question here how would you read these passages and come up with something different Uh, let's just put ourselves in the shoes of somebody who's taking the idea that jesus died for no one what kind of hoops would you have to jump through to make these passages general enough or non-specific in order to support that point of view
2: The only way to avoid that point of view is to come in with a presupposition that it cannot be true. So no matter what the scripture text says, you're going to ignore it. And in this case, what they often do is what's called the argument from silence. They say, look, it doesn't specifically say, I am not dying for the other sheep, that I have made for myself a distinct group. And therefore, they say, it's not specific enough for you to be able to use that.
1: Yeah, so let me give you an example. We said, uh, Moses read earlier from Acts 20, verse 28, where it says that God purchased the church with his own blood. So they say, "Well, yeah, we believe that God purchased the church with his own blood." But that doesn't mean that God didn't purchase, you know, everybody else. I mean, God died for Jesus Christ died for everybody. The fact that the church came to believe, well, certainly he died for them who came to believe, but that doesn't mean he didn't die for everybody else. This is kind of the reasoning that people will use. That's
0: but, almost like saying God chose a definite number of people but then say he didn't choose everybody else. You can't argue from that he didn't choose everybody else. Well, this
1: is exactly the point that you have to come with a complete perversion, a misunderstanding of the grace of God to His elect people, to then try and read these passages in this vague sort of way. Uh, you've got to go back to what we've been talking about over this series on tulip—the idea that God chooses some to be saved, and that He most definitely saves them, and then you can read these passages in the broader. Biblical context. Okay,
0: uh, guys, hold on until after the break. When we come back, we're going to continue on our discussion on limited atonement. We haven't given you all of our arguments in the arsenal yet, so stay tuned with us after the break.
1: You're listening to Sinners and Saints on 99.5 FM, KKLA.
0: Hi, this is Reverend John Sotell, Pastor of Congregational Life and Outreach at First United Reformed Church of Chino. We are a Protestant, Bible based, family oriented church committed to proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are located just off the 60 Freeway at Mountain Avenue in Chino. We worship at 10 a.m. and 6.30 p.m. every Sunday. If you'd like more information about our church, give us a call at 866-99-UNITED. That's 866-99-UNITED.
1: Are you looking for a church that values the Word of God and the rediscovery of its riches in the Protestant Reformation? Hi, I'm Pastor Adam Kalustian. I want to invite you to join us at the Ontario United Reformed Church. We worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. and 5.30 p.m. Take the Euclid Avenue exit off the 60 freeway. Go north one block to Philadelphia Street. Turn right and you'll see us. That's the Ontario United Reformed Church, 866-99-UNITED.
0: Okay, we're back here after the break tonight on Sinners and Saints, and we'll continue on this discussion on limited atonement. And by the way, if you'd like to know more about our churches or about limited atonement or Reformed theology in general, of course, we always want you to give us a call at 866 united That's eight six six ninety nine united or check us out on our website at uh, sinnersaint.org. We'd also like to send you out a copy of The Three Forms of Unity, so please uh, get into contact with us. But we said we'd have some more arguments about this whole business of limited atonement. We covered texts which, in my judgment, clearly speak to the fact that Christ died for somebody. Uh, and those are his sheep, a definite number. But what other kind of arguments could we use to establish the fact that Christ died for somebody, first of all, but uh, a particular number of people?
1: Well, to me, the easy answer is to look at the Bible to see whether or not Jesus actually saved somebody by his death or he actually made it possible that some people should be saved by his death and the Bible repeatedly says that he actually saved people when he died he didn't just make it possible
2: Christ's work had purpose it had design, and it actually accomplished what it was meant to do and so you can see that Ephesians 1 7 In him we have redemption through his blood. Hebrews 9.12 He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and cows, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. So you see that Scripture makes it very clear and wants us to understand Christ's work is the work we need, and it does accomplish what it meant to do.
1: Think about that Hebrews 9.12 passage. He has obtained eternal redemption. It doesn't say... That he made redemption possible when he died on the cross. Or redeemable. Yeah, made people now redeemable when before they were helpless. No, it says he actually obtained redemption. He actually accomplished something on that cross. It's a definite atonement.
0: One other passage along these lines is Titus 2.14, which says, uh, Who gave himself... For us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Now, Paul makes it very clear that the atonement was for a purpose, which is to redeem. It actually secured redemption. And then he connects that to the idea of definiteness. Not just uh, for uh, anyone, but for us. For his people. And so you you have more texts than this we even need to read. First Peter one eighteen, Ephesians one seven. the list goes on and on. You have to go through these texts, however, you want to honestly deal with Scripture, and you really want to come to a true understanding of the Atonement, you have to realize that Christ died for a specific number of people. So you have these redemption passages, you have other passages, though, which communicate uh, with the same force.
1: It also teaches, for example that Jesus actually made propitiation for our sins. First John two two. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. It doesn't say He is a provisional atoning sacrifice for some group of people. He says He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. He took on Himself the anger of God that was due to His people. He bore it on the cross, and God is no longer angry. It wasn't a provisional thing. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Romans three twenty five. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement not as a provisional one as a maybe hopefully it'll accomplish something he actually accomplished it on the cross
2: in 2nd Corinthians 5 21, Paul says the following he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him notice that they are both definite he was made sin for us and we are made righteousness of God in him. It's not that there is the possibility of an exchange in the future now that God has done this work in Christ, but that it has been accomplished for the elect definitely, positively, and finally.
0: So the only logical uh, inference you can draw from that passage, if I understand this correctly, is that God laid on Christ the sins of all humanity, past, present, and future, and then in turn, God gives to all humanity past, present, and future, the righteousness of Christ.
2: Yeah, that is one of the things that we definitely need to see, that it has to be an absolute final finished work for someone. But verse 20 tells us who it's for. We are ambassadors for Christ. So it is for we that this is done. And then in the context of the second of Second Corinthians, it is to the Christian church in Corinth that this is being written. So it is for them. We are the us being spoken of here, not each and every person in the world indiscriminately. So the basic point is this, the Bible nowhere teaches that when Christ
1: died it was, you know, maybe to present an opportunity later or maybe to make something possible. He actually accomplished redemption and you are left with the choice. He therefore either died for everybody in the world and therefore everybody is redeemed, reconciled with God, propitiated, sacrificed for, or he died for a specific number who actually come to faith in him in time, which of course is Of the biblical teaching. You don't have any other
0: choice. Now, how persuasive was something like this? I understand you came to the position over time to come to embrace a limited atonement. How persuasive is an argument like this to somebody who's questioning? Well,
1: look, the first time you hear that Jesus did not die with the purpose of saving every individual person in the world, you go into shock is really what happens. I mean, it's not that you sit down and carefully reason with the the scriptures, at least it wasn't in my case. So shock I couldn't about, believe
0: that anybody okay, sh- thought. Shock about what? Shock about that God could be this way? Well, yeah. God be this I, you're, wise. You're, God could be that vindictive. No, it's not whatever. so much
1: that. It's just that you're always taught that, obviously, Jesus died for everybody, and what it means to be saved is whether or not you accept him. And you give no more thought to the idea of salvation through Jesus Christ than that. Uh, I believe, though, if people will sit down and carefully reason through the Scriptures, think about this series that we've been doing on TULIP, get the tapes, call us, 866-99-UNITED, sit down with the Bible and actually read it. We can come together to a greater and more clear understanding of what Christ did. Really, John, the answer to your question
0: is: you just get shocked
1: because you've never heard it before. Okay, but if
0: you hear it, I mean, does it take? Does a light bulb turn on, or is it a? Does it just begin the thinking process, which over time it just begins a thinking
2: process? Because what you have to do is you have to now reevaluate everything you've ever believed. You have to go through and see what is the fullness of Scripture teaching. And then it is through this you get a very God-centered view, and you see that he does all things for his glory with plan and purpose. And then all this perfectly ties together. But as long as you're going along with the standard individualistic mindset, it makes no sense in that context. Okay, hold
0: that thought there, and don't you dare touch that dial. Join us after the break. We're going to come back and give some more arguments for Christ's definite or limited or particular atonement. Reformation Radio
2: Theology with an Edge Come to worship God at the Pasadena United Reformed Church Worship Him in spirit and in truth Hear the gospel faithfully preached Rejoice in the God of your salvation Come and join us on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. and Sunday evenings at 6 p.m. We are located at 226 West Colorado in Arcadia off the Santa Anita exit of the 210 freeway Call us at 866 99 United or visit us at urcsocal.org. Hi, this is Pastor Bureau of Grace Evangelical Church in Torrance. We are a new Reformed Church serving all of South Bay. As a member of the United Reformed Churches of North America, Grace Evangelical Church emphasizes the preaching of the gospel, weekly administration of the Lord's Supper, catechism of our children, and emphasis on the singing of the Psalms, all in a family-friendly atmosphere. Come, worship with us. You can reach us at area code 310-782-7019.
0: Thanks for joining us again tonight on Sinners and Saints. We're back to our topic, limited atonement. We're dealing with the doctrine of tulip, but tonight particularly... Did Christ die for someone, or did he die for no one, or did he die for all? And We've been going through a number of passages which seem to indicate so clearly from Scripture that Christ died for a definite number of people, and it actually secured redemption and salvation for them. And so I think, Adam, you had one, uh, one more thing you wanted to say when we get to our, to our final argument tonight.
1: Yeah, I just want us to be sensitive to people out there who are new to this idea. Because, um, I don't know, John, maybe you, know, you grew up being taught that Jesus died for his people specifically. But there are those of us growing up in various you know, Christian churches or whatever that were taught, I mean, almost as a fundamental article of the faith, that God loves everybody in the same way and Jesus died for everybody in the same way.
0: Now, to me, that would sound totally irrational. If you've grown up with the conviction that it's specific, it's limited, it's definite, it seems totally irrational because this this fits together like a puzzle so clearly with the other doctrines. So what I want to ask of you, because you come out of this background to some extent, does the other side, the redeemable, Christ made everybody savable, does that fit together and, and seem logically coherent to somebody who holds the other position?
1: Well, sure. I mean, at the time it does. I mean, you know, you hear things thrown out like John three sixteen, and I know we're going to get into some of these passages uh, in the next show that people seem to say teaching that Jesus died for everybody's sins or at least made people savable. Yeah, I mean, you're coming from a system where you don't believe in predestination. You haven't been taught the doctrine of election that God chooses certain people. You believe that that uh, choosing, or rather, is based on whether or not you believe. So then, of course, it makes sense that he would provisionally die for everybody, and it's kind of up to them to save. it's a very man-centered way of viewing salvation. But the point that I wanted to make, John, is that, and if you're listening out there, we really, we don't want you to come to this position because it sounds, you know, on the face of it, say, just more logical or whatever, or because it's new and kind of interesting. We want you to search the Scripture on this doctrine. I want you to ask the question of the passages that talk about the death of Jesus, whether or not they teach that he died for everybody, or he actually died for some, his elect, and accomplished their redemption. We want you to study the Scripture and come to the biblical view on
0: this. Okay, but but let me back up something you said. You said we don't want people just to come to it just because it sounds logical, but doesn't the Bible have a logic to itself that mandates uh, and authorizes uh, this position that we believe.
1: Well, that's true. I guess what I mean by, you know, don't come to it just because it's logical meaning. Don't uh, don't think that human arguments in and of themselves are, uh, because they sound persuasive, should be believed. I mean, you've got to test everything that you hear, including what we say, by the Word of God, and we believe very confidently that you'll come to uh, the true understanding of the Atonement if you hold fast to the Scripture. And I guess I would say follow the Bible's logic.
0: Okay, well, let's give another argument then for the Bible's logic. Uh, Substitutionary atonement. Christ died in behalf of people.
2: The Apostle Paul in Romans 5 writes the following, starting at verse 6. For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, much more than having now been justified by his blood. We shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. What is Paul's argument? Christ dies for the ungodly in accordance with the will of God, and he does so for those who are unworthy unable to do the good that is required that's the that's the wonder in Paul's gospel is that he died for the ungodly and then he says and now that we are justified so he connects the death for us is for those who are now justified
0: all right let's go to one one last passage here tonight and then we'll wrap it up john 17:9 jesus says in his high priestly prayer i pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. Now, the priestly work of Christ is definitely related to the atonement, because he's the one as priest who offers a sacrifice for our sins. Now, you tell me why. If Christ died for everybody, why wouldn't he pray for everybody? But he doesn't say he does. He says he, pr- he prays for them, for the ones given him.
1: Right, and then you read along further in verse 20. I do not pray for these alone but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That is, he's praying initially for the apostles, the ones he's sending out, and for those who will believe through the word of the apostles, the preaching of Christ. It's not for everybody indiscriminately. Jesus prays before he goes to make sacrifice on the cross for their sins for those who for whom he's making the sacrifice.
2: And if you want to really understand the significance of this, go back and read Leviticus. You can read the whole book, but particularly chapter 16. And you see there the priest prays over the sacrifice, particularly for Israel, and it is their sins which are atoned for, you have the scapegoat taken out from the camp into the rest of the world with the sins having been confessed on him. And that's the model here. So this is what Jesus is saying. I am that scapegoat. I am the sacrifice. I am also the high priest. I'm praying for the sins of this group identified by my name and them only.
0: See what what all this demonstrates is that there is a gospel logic, there is a biblical logic, there's a theological logic that you have to understand, because that's what helps unfold uh, this this question for us in terms of the extent of the atonement uh, and going and tying it back to the Old Testament, the Day of the Atonement is is something that has to be done here because the scriptures continually compare. Uh, the Old Testament sacrifices, particularly the Day of Atonement sacrifice and Christ's atonement. And if under the Old Covenant, when that atonement was offered on the Day of Atonement, the priest only prayed for the people who were represented by that sacrifice, and Christ now is the fulfillment of that, it, it, it follows by irresistible logic that Christ would only pray for the ones he's represented, and he's represented a particular, specific number
2: with that atonement. To a degree you also see this then displayed in various parts of scripture, but you see it where Paul reserves particular anger and condemns those who were of the church and went out and blasphemed the name, whereas he is perfectly willing to go to the unbelievers and bring to them the gospel in a very gracious manner. Why is that? Because those who have despised the blood, those who have had access to it and despise it, are to be condemned. That makes sense where you have the blood particularly for those in the covenant community, those who are especially the elect from within the covenant community. This wouldn't make sense otherwise. Scripture
0: explicitly teaches Christ died for his people. We want to thank you tonight for joining us on Sinners and Saints. Uh, Stay tuned with us next week as we continue on this topic. We're going to handle some objections to the Reformed and Biblical doctrine of limited atonement. Join us next week as we tackle more topics with the truth of God's Word on
1: Sinners and Saints, Theology with an Edge. For more information, call 866-99-UNITED. Or log on to the web at urcsocal.org. That's 866-99-UNITED.
0: Hi there, this is uh, Reverend John Sautel, co-host of Sinners and Saints. Do you live in the Chino Hills or Diamond Bar area? Well, if you do, I want to extend a very special invitation to you to come join us to study the Word of God. On Tuesday evenings at 7.30 at Chino Hills High School, we're currently studying through the Book of Romans. If you'd like to join us, just give me a call at 909-319-3479. That's 909-319-3479. Or for more information, check us out at allsaintsreform.org. That's allsaintsreform.org.